morning. Good morning, Grace Point. Let's stand, everybody, is our custom of reading of God's Word. Have your Bible go with us to the book of Psalms, 139. Going to read two verses there and then one verse in the book of Acts, chapter 17 and verse 26. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. Amen. I'm going to talk about recovering what we lost. And uh, it is so wonderfully good to see my mama back in her church. <laughs> Amen. Uh, it's not just the fact that our, my dad and her husband went to be with the Lord, but she's had some surgery on her lower leg and hadn't been able to get out. But we're so glad she's here uh, in her church this morning. Amen. We love you, Mama. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. You just can't read this Bible without seeing that God has an eternal plan for each of our lives. And uh, he says, verse 17, how precious are your thoughts not for me, but to me. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. This is a psalm by David, and he's speaking of that, but God has that same plan for you. He has those thoughts toward you, to you. Acts chapter 17, 26 says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. In other words, we all come from Adam. Amen? Irregardless of the skin color, irregardless of where you live, how you speak, what language you speak, we are all brothers and sisters. We all come from the same daddy, Adam, and the same mama, Eve. Some of y'all act like y'all don't know that. And he says, from this one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times. Notice that, that God has determined pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. God decided where you would live, what country you would be born in. Amen? And you see, our life is a story. We, we don't know exactly how uh, it will go. When we left home this morning, we all assumed we'd make it to church this morning, didn't we? But we don't ever know what a day holds what we will face, what phone call will change our lives, what appointment will change our lives, what circumstances will affect our lives. And, uh, you know, our life is not like a movie that we've already watched. And we're watching it again. You already know how the scene, uh, what the next scene will be, how it will unfold, you know, how it will end. Well, our lives are not like that. I mean, they take unexpected sometimes, twists and turns, and sometimes due to our own fault. Um, sometimes we've made decisions that caused us to stumble, to falter, to fail. You know, you, you remember seeing those uh, connect-the-dot pictures when you was a kid? They have them like in coloring books sometimes, and it's just a bunch of dots with numbers. And you just start with number one, of course, you go to two, three, four, and when you're first looking at it, you, don't, you have no idea what that's going to be. 
But when you get through connecting all the dots, then you have an image, a picture. Now, those dots are really like decisions. In other words, you had to make a decision to go from one to two and two to three and three to four. But if you were playing that, connect the dots, and you, you just say, well, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm not going to do it. I'll do it like I want to. You're going to end up with a real distorted image. But whose fault's that? Boy, it's going to get quiet in our. But see, we blame everybody but ourselves for the decisions we make. Now, listen, God's got a plan for your life. He's pre-appointed a plan all of your days according to God. He's, he's written down in his book what he wanted those days to look like and be. But he also gave you a free will. And you can make decisions. You can go against his will. You can do things that you just do out of rebellion. You can do things you do out of ignorance. You can do things and just decide that you're going to do what you want to do. And then sometimes the image we get of our lives is not something that we won't desire or even like. But it doesn't matter what kind of decisions we've made. God's grace is greater than your worst. And God can always redeem. That's what he does. He brings something good out of chaos. That's how he started the Bible. There was chaos and confusion and darkness. And what God did, even in that darkness and confusion in Genesis, the Bible says the Holy Spirit was hovering over that. Just waiting on somebody to speak a word of God. And God looked in all that darkness, and he didn't, he didn't give a news report about how dark it was. When God saw chaos and confusion and emptiness and darkness, God said, let there be light. See, that's how God operates. God doesn't give a news report of, of how dark things or how bad things are. God speaks the opposite. God speaks his word. That's what you were talking about this morning. It's just speaking the word of God. Because when you speak God's word, you're actually confessing. Most Christians think confess means to confess sin. The, the Bible talks about confessing, and that means to agree with God. Agree with what God says. In Romans 10, it's talking, it says that we, with the mouth, confession is made unto righteousness. The word sin doesn't even appear in Romans chapter 10. And I told you over and over, that's the chapter that tells you how to get saved. And the word sin is not even mentioned. That's a whole different way than the church in America gets people saved. First thing they do is focus them on their sin, which has already been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. And they still make that a big deal. And declare that Jesus maybe didn't finish what he came to do. But he is the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. And if we would just agree with God in God's purpose and plan, our lives would be totally different. Amen? Father, thank you for the word of God. I pray you would glorify your son Jesus and you would edify this church today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Look at somebody and say, welcome to Grace Point. They took some of my time, so I'm going to take some of theirs. No. No, I shorten it up. You know, it is true. Sometimes, you know, our stumbles and our falls, really sometimes God will redeem those and he will use those things that we think were so horrible. God didn't cause them and God didn't will it for your life, but he will use those things to to prepare you for even greater things. There's times that the people have been 
their company folded up. The factory where they worked went out of business. You lost your job. You thought you would be there until you were 65. And lo and behold, they, they, it's over. And then you find yourself on a different path, a, a different journey, or having to find a, a new career. And, and then you find yourself in a place more blessed than you ever were before. Because, you, because things change in our, in our lives in this story. There's people that I know, even I felt like even today, and it's been on my heart all week. Some of you feel like you were 15 minutes late for the train of life. You missed it. And now you just got to settle for what you got. You got to settle for less. Some people are so disenchanted, and they, they feel like that uh, they were cheated by things that were beyond their control. And if we're not careful, we'll develop that victim mentality and we'll, we'll, we'll blame circumstances and everybody else, and we'll never even look to God to redeem those things that happened to us. And, yeah, there's things that ha happen that's beyond your control. You don't have anything to, to do with. But you've got to understand that, that those things do not dictate what your future is going to be. I love stories. Our life is a story. We, we, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know what the future would hold. I you know, I would have never thought that, you know, when I was coming along that I would have left the denomination that I was uh, saved in. But God had a different plan for me. God had a plan for me to plant a church in a little town. And, uh, and I never would have dreamed. In fact, I had uh, erroneously, probably ignorantly, but, I, but you know, you, you do what you do. I remember one, it was on a Wednesday night, so there were fewer people there, but I I actually told the church, you know, that I, that I founded and pastored, that I would die, you know, I mean, I would never leave that church. I said, I'm going to, this is, this is it, you know. And, uh, boy, God had other plans. God had other plans. Actually, people use that against me <laughs> when I did, by the leading of God, come, come here to Mount Austin. They said, well, you said, I did say. Because there are times you say things and you believe things, but, but God has different plans. Because God's not revealing to you necessarily 10 years from now. This is a walk of faith. God doesn't give you an atlas map. You understand what I mean? Nobody uses that anymore with all these iPhones. But you remember an atlas has got all the states in there. Well, God just gives you one day, a day. You just live in faith in that day with God. And so I love, I love stories. Your life is a story. And if you want to get to know somebody, get, get to know their story. Everybody's got a story. And I don't know of anybody that said, you know what, my life turned out exactly like I thought it would. <laughs> I mean, I had it planned out, and my life has turned out exactly like I planned. I don't think there's a person I've ever met that thought that, because mine sure hadn't, and I would bet yours hadn't either. Some of you think that you've made so many mistakes and such big, huge mistakes that uh, it's just you, you, you can't get over it. You can't recover what you've lost. And I want to tell you, that's, that's not true. That's what, you know, it's like everything today. I love because we, we don't get together and plan. You know, I, I have no idea really what the praise team is going to sing, songs, choices, and, and they have no idea what I'm going to preach. But yet today I've noticed from every song was just meshed in to just fitting in with what God had laid on my heart today to talk about. Um, I always have loved stories. I love to tell stories, and that's what Jesus did. They're called parables, and he told stories. And, and, and the Bible's filled with stories of people's lives and real people that had real lives and, and, and families. And one of those guys that it always stood out to me is, is named Peter. 
And in fact, he, his story is recorded to us in Scripture, not all the way to the end, but, but close to the end of his life. And we see that life unfold very rapidly in Scripture. And uh, Peter was a very unique person, a very unique disciple of the Twelve. He, to me, he was a paradox in human form. And so he was a strange mix of, of these paradoxical uh, emotions and feelings and, and, and actions. He, he, was, uh, he, he could be very uh, cowardice, but he also could be courageous. Um, he was very uh, a controversial figure, but uh, he was also a conforming person. He was compassionate. But then he would be quick-tempered and say what was on his mind. He, he was like that. He could be very strategic in his planning, but he could also be very impetuous. He was one to just speak what was on his mind sometimes without seemingly thinking very well. Um, he had a lot of first among disciples. Um, he was one of the first disciples that Jesus called to be one of his apostles. Uh, he was the first disciple to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of the living God, and he declared that. Uh, he was the first disciple to see Jesus after his resurrection. He was the first disciple to understand and get the uh, legitimacy of the Gentiles, non-Jewish people being allowed to be born again and come into the kingdom of God. He was also the first disciple to deny Jesus publicly and say, I don't know that man. Um, I would say he was the first disciple to walk on water, but I don't have no record of any of the rest of them doing it. But if he was the first to do it, he was also the first one to sink. And we can we, that's that paradox. You can do great things. You can walk on water and then you can drown almost. Th th these things that we see going on in Peter's life and he was a real person and he had a real family he had a real he had a wife um, he's a fisherman and apparently he was very successful at fishing and it's strange to us but Jesus sees these fishermen doing what fishermen do and they're drying out their nets and they're mending their nets and and they're taking care of their fishing business and Peter was was doing that he was in business with with uh, uh, James and John and and they fished the Sea of Galilee and so Jesus sees them one day, and he just walks up to them and says, follow me. And strangely enough, Peter leaves the nets, and he leaves the fishing business, and he begins to follow this rabbi, this disciple, this teacher. And uh, he, Peter was the only disciple to whom Jesus surnamed him a different name. Actually, he was called Simon. And uh, Simon... Uh, Jesus said, you will no longer be Simon. But he said, I call you Petros, or Peter, which means a large stone, a stable person. You'll be a foundational person in my kingdom. You'll be a rock. You'll be a pillar. And when God speaks to you, that's what all prophecy is. Prophecy is proclaiming what God's plan and desire. You know, those days appointed in his book before any of them come into being, God will begin to reveal and speak to you what he desires for you. God will never speak down to you and, and say, well, I knew you wasn't going to make it. I knew it was going to be a failure. Prophecy will always speak to the potential that's in you. 
That's why prophecy is contingent upon what you do with it. The whole Bible is prophetic. But when God speaks to you, he's going to speak the best to you. He's going to speak the high watermark in your life. And God's calling you up to those things. The Old Testament verse says that God said, if you want to be my spokesman, then extract the precious from the vial. I mean, if you're God's prophetic person, when you stand and you're looking at a valley full of dead men's bones, uh, God wants you to, to, to speak to those bones. That's what he told the prophet to do. He said, he said, he asked him a question. He said, look at all these dead bones in this valley. Can these bones live? I mean, that prophet didn't even know how to answer a question like that. He just said, only you know, God. Come on, I'm Ezekiel 37. Only you know, God. And God says, prophesy. Speak to these bones. Speak to that. See, bones is not just somebody that's died. This, I mean, they're, they're, decay has happened, and it's over. But God said, speak to that. What are you going to say about it? What are, you, what are you going to say about it? And God says, prophesy to the wind and say, come, O wind, and blow upon these that are slain. And I know it was prophetic, and it was speaking prophetically of Israel and all that, but the principle is the same. You have to speak and live in the opposite realm of darkness. You've got to speak life and light to those circumstances in our lives. So he told Peter, he said, you're, you're, you're going to be a stable force. That's what he was telling him by that name change. And so then we see this story unfold in, in, in Luke 22 and 24. It's, now, you've got to think about this now. Th this is the Last Supper, all right? And it says that Jesus, with all of his heart, he desired to keep this Passover meal with his disciples. Now, this is right before he's going to be arrested and, and, and go through his trials and so forth and be crucified and die. And, and he's wanting to spend this last meal, if you will, this Passover meal with his disciples. And he's there with them, and, and uh, he, he just got through telling them that he's going to suffer. He told them, he said, I want to spend this last meal with you before I suffer. And, and he's already administered the communion that we would call communion now to him, the bread and the wine. And he's, and he's speaking to them, and, and it's a very somber, special moment, special time. And then you look in verse 24, it says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now here they are. He's, he's moments away from being arrested and, 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 and hours from being crucified. And an argument breaks out between his apostles, and they're arguing over which one of them is going to be the greatest. That's how church folk could do. They missed the point of the moment of what's going on. They're arguing over and disputing over ridiculous things. Ridiculous things. In verse 28, Jesus is talking to them in, in Luke twenty-two, twenty-eight. 28. He said, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. It's amazing that he would say that because he knows they're all about to forsake him. And actually he says that all of you will depart from me this night. All of you. All of you are going to run from me. And he, look what he says in verse 29. But, and I bestow, not that I'm going to, but he said, I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my father bestowed one upon me. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Man, that is some big news. Peter's like, yes, I knew I was going to be a leader. I knew that I was going to be a ruler. He said, I've got it made now. Nothing can stop me. Can't wait till I get home, tell my wife that I'm going to be a ruler and have a throne. And then as soon as 
this is said. Next verse. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Why is he calling him Simon? I thought he changed his name to Peter. You know what Simon's name means? It means hear or listen. I believe Jesus is saying to him, listen, listen. And if you look in verse 31, I don't know if it communicates. Yeah, you see that exclamation point up there? You see that? that you see that exclamation point in, in the text? And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. It's not like Simon. Jesus is exclaiming his name, Simon, Simon. They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. He told them, I'm still going to bestow upon you a kingdom. And then Jesus just very pointedly, Simon, Simon. He's trying to get his attention. You know how your parents do with kids. If they call you by your full name, you know you're in trouble, right? And he says, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, isn't that wonderful, that your faith, your faith should what? Not fail. And when you have returned to me, that means you're going to fall. You can't return if you, but when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Some of you have, have had times where you've stumbled, you have fallen. And what God will do, he didn't cause it, he didn't design it and didn't desire it, but God will use that in your life that has caused you to stumble and fall to strengthen people so they won't stumble and fall. But he said to him, Lord, now Peter don't accept the word of this. He misses the point totally. Verse 33, he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Pardon me for this, but Peter wrote a check with his mouth that his butt couldn't cash. That's how we say it in the country. Did you hear what I said? He said something out of his mouth that he couldn't back it up. He couldn't walk it out. He boasted. But he's boasting in his strength, in his determination in his character he's not boasting there's nothing wrong with boasting as long as your boast is in the Lord but when you start boasting in your own intelligence wisdom strength I mean you may have aspiration I'm going to be a multi-billionaire whatever but you can't when you're laying in a hospital bed with slobber running out of your mouth you can if you can't talk God wouldn't do that to you. I'm just saying, you don't ever know what life is, is going to hand you. This ain't heaven yet. He said, I'm ready to go to prison, and I'll die for you. Now, these guys here, these other 11, I don't know what they're going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm, gonna, I'm ready to go to prison, and I'll die with you. And then Jesus replies to that and said, I'll tell you this, Peter. The rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter didn't believe a word of it. Even though Jesus said it, he didn't believe it. So when people read this verse, let me tell you how it was taught to me in the old church. We'll say it that way. It was taught to me that 
what this verse means is that God and the devil are in or cohorts. They're working together on you or in me. In other words, it, that Satan had to get permission from Jesus to attack him, and Jesus gave that permission. Nothing could be further from the truth, and the Scripture never says that. It says Satan has asked to have you that he might sift you as wheat. You know, it's, it's very important, and I've tried so hard to, to declare this to people over and over, that you do not confuse God with the devil. God is good. Satan, bad. I preached that 20 years ago. That was the title of the sermon, God, good, devil, bad. And if you can, and if you can get that theology in your belief system and, and don't falter off that, it will save you multiple hurts and confusions. If it is good, it's from God. If it is bad, if it's got to do with stealing, killing, and destroying, that's not from your father. God has never given anybody a disease. He's never given anybody cancer. He's never shoved anybody in front of a moving car so they could get hit and laid up in the hospital so he could talk to them. He's never broken anybody's leg. He's never broken anybody's arm or back or head or anything else so that they could lay in a bed and then talk to God. Would you do that to your kids? Well, God didn't cause it, but he allowed it. Would you allow your kid to get run over by a car so you could show more love to them? I'm asking you, would you allow your kid, your grandkid, you know, I know they're playing in the road, but I'm just going to allow that because I'm going to allow them to get run over because when they're broke all up, lying in a hospital, I can spend a lot of time showing them my love. Is that, is that your image of God? You think that's the God we serve? And you're always hearing all these people, and I hear it every week. If you ever turn on any uh, Christian preaching anywhere, God's in control, God's in control. God's not in control. You're in control. God's in charge. Big difference. God's not in control. He's not in control of your decisions, your life. If he is, well, God's made some real poor decisions on your behalf. <laughs> Come on now. God's not in control. You're in control. Now, as much as we yield ourselves as a born-again believer to God, God is leading us. He's leading us, but we're not a robot. And we, we make decisions. We, we, we rely upon the mind of Christ that's been gifted to us at the new birth. We, 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 we seek the will of the Lord to know what his plan and purpose is in our life. He communicates that. We just got through with a series. He communicates it in dreams and in all kind of ways. that he, he conveys his thoughts that he has for us and to us so that he wants us to walk according to the purpose and plan that he has for us. When the Bible says in the Old Testament, and the psalmist cried out and said, Lord, teach us to number our days. You know what the religious mind does with that verse? Your days are numbered. <laughs> you see how the religious mind works? Your days are numbered. Or they'll say, well, your days are numbered like, in other words, God's already got a circle on the calendar, and he knows when you're going to die, and he's going to, you know, clock you out with the great time clock in the sky on that day. That's their view of their life. They think, you know, that, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, you know, when I die, I die. I mean, you know. No. The Bible says that you're the one that determines the length of days. There's a lot that you do that affects that and ha has impact over that. He says, honor your mother and father and your days shall be long upon this earth. There's all kind of things that talk about that in the word of God. But God made us free 
free will people, we can choose decisions and we can recover from bad decisions and things that we've done. And so that's what makes me love this guy, Peter, because, man, he really made some, some bad decisions. And so you've got to understand that, that God's will for your life is not Satan's will for your life. What Satan wants is not what God wants. And there is still an enemy of our soul. There is an adversary, the New Testament calls him, an adversary. And God warns us about that there's still a force that tries to, to get us to, to, to separate from him and to believe the lies of the enemy. So what about this word sifting? He says that Satan wants to sift you as wheat. Now let me say something. God is not working with the devil to make you good. God don't need the devil to bring you into the image of Christ. God's not doing that. He is an enemy of our soul. You understand that? So they're not working together. Satan is not on the leash and God is sick of them. All that stuff that you heard in religious church, all that's lies. This is not Jesus and the devil working together to try to work on Peter. They're, they're not in, they're not in uh, you know, business together here. Satan is not God's watchdog. He's not God's sheepdog to sick them, you know, make them come back to me. No, none of that is true. What Jesus is doing is he is revealing to Peter the plan of the enemy for him. And he said, this is the devil's plan for you, son. He wants to sift you, which means to separate. The word sift means to separate. He wants to separate you from me. He wants to separate all of you from me. And, and so that's, that's what he's saying. L listen to the message. I, I didn't give them this, but this is Luke twenty two thirty one. Listen to the message version of this. It says, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. That, that's all Jesus is doing. He's revealing that this is the enemy's plan for your life. That he, he wants to separate you from me. And I want to tell you something. He still has that plan for every Christian out here, for every person here. Now, you, you can't be separated from the love of God, from God's love towards you. But you can sure separate yourself from enjoying that love and the benefit of that love. And this is exactly what Peter and his disciples did that night. They abandoned the Lord. They ran. And it says that in Matthew 26 and 56. It says all of his disciples deserted him and they fled. See, what Satan desired uh, for Peter, what, what he desired for him, it really it came to pass. I mean, like sifted chaff, the disciples, all of them, Peter as well, they separated themselves from Jesus that night. He told them that they would. It, it was a victory for Satan. It looked like. It seemed so. But what Satan meant for evil, Jesus said, I'm going to turn around, you're going to use this, and you're going to strengthen the brethren. So, so this is what God does. He does this all the time. He redeems our failures, and he turns our defeats into victory. Glory to God. Y'all just let me know when I say something good. Okay? And, and he does that all the time. And, and why does he do it? So that we can experience his unconditional unfailing, never changing, never diminishing love. We sang about it this morning. And this is the essence of what Jesus says to Simon. Um, he, he just says, Simon, listen, tough times are coming, bud. And he said, I'm, I'm heading to the cross, and, and you guys are going to run like chickens. And it's going to seem like for a moment that the devil is getting his way. And I'm telling you this in advance so that when it happens, you won't be discouraged. That's what he was telling me. He says, Peter, listen, man, you, you're, you're so strong with your boast. You're so quick to tell me how 
how you're ready to go to prison with me, to die with me, but you're really not. You're not near as strong as you think you are. You're going to fail. And what I want you to know in the midst of this failure, I want you to know that I'm okay with that. And even in the midst of your failure, I want you to know that my grace is greater than your failure. That, 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 that's what he's telling him. And, 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 and listen to this, and, and, it, and it gets better. And he says, you know what? I'm praying for you. <laughs> Man, that should make them headbutt somebody, Adam, I'll tell you that. I'm praying for you. Jesus said, I'm praying for you, Peter. I'm praying for you. In other words, I'm in your corner, man. Now, I'm not going to abandon you. And even though you abandon me, I'll never abandon you. Even though you fail, I'll never fail you. That, that's the God you serve. And that's the God we've sung about all day today. And he says, you know what? After you've come through this, I want you to remember this. And I want you to remember that I warned you. And I want you to remember that I also told you what to do. I want you to go and use this that the enemy tried to destroy you. I want you to turn it around and use it on him. And I want you to strengthen your brothers with it. I want you to tell them about your testimony. I want you to tell them how you failed me. I want you to tell them how you denied me. Man, if you want to know one of the most pointed movie videos in my mind as I read the Gospels, when they arrest Jesus, of course, Peter, you know, you've heard me tell it, boy, here he goes with that courage. I mean, here is a legion of soldiers, Roman soldiers, armed to the teeth with sword and, and shields and, and, and weaponry, and, and, and they come to arrest Jesus, and what does Peter do? Does he cower down? Man, he pulls that sword, and, and, and he goes for one of them's head to cut it off. I mean, the battle's on. And when that sword came, remember the guy ducked, and he cut off his ear. I hope you didn't think that Peter went in there and said, I'm going to cut this guy's ear off. That'll show him. No, he was going for his head. And what were you going to do when a sword's coming? You're going to do this. But he lost his ear. Now listen to this. This is so strange. In the middle of all this right there, you don't think that's chaotic? In the middle of this, Jesus stops and says, Peter, put away your sword. He said, if this world was my kingdom, my, my apostles would fight. But put that sword up. This is not how we're going to win. And, and, and then he reaches down and picks up the guy's ear and does a creative miracle and sticks it back on his head. Is that in the Bible? Now, why do we need to know that? Why is that little part so important that it needed to be written by the Holy Spirit for us to remember, talk about, preach about, and read about? I believe not only, I believe in every miracle there is a message. And I've told you this before, but some of you haven't heard me say this, but I believe that the Bible says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. True or not? Is that right? So the sword is symbolically of the Word of God. So here is Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, and he is using the sword, but he uses it in a wrong way. And he cuts off a man's what? His ear, which is the ability to hear. And Jesus said, I will not go to the cross leaving this man without the ability to hear the gospel. In other words, what, what is prophetically symbolic here? God is saying for us as Christians, don't ever use the Bible in a harmful way. 
Don't ever take the sword of God's word and try to beat people up to stab them into the kingdom or to try to hurt them in any way. Don't use the Bible to try to get your spouse saved by telling them they're going to hell or, or trying to get your teenage son this on drugs. Trying to, you, you can't use the sword like that. God says I, you, if when you do, you're cutting off people's ability to hear the good news because what they heard or what they got was religion. And all religion uses the Bible. David Koresh used in Waco, he used the Bible. But he used it in a violent, wrong way. They all use the Bible. They're using a sword, but they're cutting off people's hearing, their ability to hear. Some people have been so wounded and hurt by religion that they can't even hear the good news when you tell them. I don't want to hear nothing about that. They, they can't even hear. So don't do that. That's what I believe that's the, another message in that miracle. And so Jesus is arrested. And, and, and they carry him out in a place, you know, and John's following uh, Jesus, and, and Peter is following from afar off, it says. And, and listen to me. They, they go to where there is a coal of fire, and it's cold, and it's at night. But Jesus is out in a public place. He's, he, he, his hands are tied. He's, he's at the mercy of these seemingly these Roman soldiers and, and this mock trial, and they're bringing all these liars in, and, and, and they want everybody to hear him blaspheme and confess that he's the Son of God so they can crucify him. And, but, but he's out to where all the people can see, but more than that, I believe he's where Peter can see him. And the Scriptures say this. Peter's warming himself by the coals of fire. They kind of got the fire, and it says coals of fire are burning. And Peter's there warming his hands. And a woman looks at him and says, you're one of those Galileans. You're one of his apostles. Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. Denied him. She said, oh, yes, you're one of those. Your speech betrays you. You talk just like him. You're one of those. You're a follower. Peter is scared for his life. He says, he calls curses down upon himself. May I be cursed if I know that man. I don't know who he is. And then a third time he does it. And when he said it the third time, I do not know that man. The Bible says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And their eyes met. I can't imagine a more pointed moment for their eyes to meet. And it's like Jesus is not being, you know, mean to him. He's just saying, I told you. I warned you. I told you before the sun come up. And the rooster crowed, you would deny you even know me three times. And the Bible says when Peter looked in the eyes of Jesus, he ran and he wept bitterly. As far as he was concerned, it's over. He made a real bad decision. He denied Christ publicly. He's the first apostle. Now, he'd been promised, bestow upon you a kingdom, a throne. He's like, that's over. I'll never be able to do that. I'll be lucky if I get in the kingdom. Probably won't. I'm done. I've burned all the bridges and blowed them up. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. So what does he do? He goes back to fishing. He goes back and takes his old job back. He actually convinces a couple of other disciples to go back with him. And they're out fishing. And as far as he's concerned, it's over with. But Jesus does a couple of things that really touches him and he can't get away from it. Because you know how you guys were singing today about God pursuing us? That is so true, man. It's not us pursuing God. God's the one pursuing you. He's the pursuer. He's chasing you. That's why I never did like a book, God Chasers. 
That's, anyway, sorry, bro. I, th- I thought it was a ridiculous title. You're not chasing after God. God's not hiding from you. God's chasing you. God's chasing you. You want to see how he, ch- how he looks like when he chases? As soon as he comes out of the grave, he knows Peter thinks he's done with. And as soon as he resurrects, he talks to a woman at the, at the tomb. Now, she, initially, she doesn't recognize him, but this is what he says to that woman. After he, you know, she realizes it's the Christ, this is what he says. Listen, go tell Peter and my disciples that I'll meet them in Galilee. God's chasing. Why does he call that guy's name? Because as far as Peter's concerned, he's no longer a disciple. As far as God's concerned, he's still a disciple. Go tell Peter. I can imagine that woman going to Peter and finding him some days later and says, you know what, Uh, Jesus rose from the dead and I talked to him in the garden and he called your name. And he told me to go tell Peter, so that's why I'm here talking to you personally. And then he said, tell the rest of the disciples that I'll meet y'all in Galilee. And Peter's like, he called my name. Oh, girl, you know you ain't man, he called my name. He didn't call my name. He, didn't, he, didn't, he called my name, you swear. You pinky swear or whatever. So God starts those little moments. After that, you know what the Bible, a lot of people miss this verse, but the other disciples, when they're testifying about his resurrection, they said, the Lord hath appeared to Simon. Jesus made a personal appearance, private appearance. We don't know what was said. All we know is that Jesus revealed himself to that one apostle privately. Why? Because he's chasing you, and he'll never stop chasing you. He's not going to say, you denied me, so you just made your bed, you lay in it, that's what you deserve, that's what you get. That's not God. He will never give up on you. And he says, the Lord has appeared to Simon. And now they're out there fishing. Whatever happened, it still seems like that Peter's just not getting it. So he's out there fishing. So this guy's over on the, this morning, he's over on the beach uh, there, and he's cooking uh, breakfast on coals of fire. And he hollers across to these guys in the boat, Peter and the other apostles. He said, you caught any fish? <laughs> no. He said, why don't you throw your net on the right side of the boat? Listen to me. I'm about done. Listen. It's not about right versus left. Forget that thinking. She's just saying, maybe the reason that your life is not fruitful now and that what you're doing is not working is you're not doing what's right. You're doing what's wrong. And why don't you just go back to doing what's right? You know, a lot of times people tell me, I I wish I could hear God. God don't speak to me. God hadn't talked to me in years. Really? Oh, he's talked. You just ain't listening. He's talking. Let me ask you this, believer that says that. You know, back when God did speak to you and did talk to you, what were you doing then? Think about it. What, what, how, you know, how, how did your day go? Did, did you read the Bible? Did you, did you pray? Did you worship maybe? Did you spend time with God? Did you come to church? Did you commune with Christians? Did you... Involve yourself in small groups, and, and all, what were you doing back then? When you know when God was talking to you, you know, and and now He's not talking to you, 
and you don't read your Bible and you never pray and you don't go to church and you, you see any difference there? Why, why don't you cast your net on the right side of the boat? Why, why don't you just cast your net? Why don't you just do what is right? Because there are things that are right for Christians and there's things that are wrong. And Satan doesn't care what he uses to separate you from Jesus. Now, he can't snatch you out of God's hand. He can't literally pull you out of the grip of the Lord. I'm saying, when I'm saying this, he desires for you to run from the lover of your soul. He wants you to run from the house of God, run from fellow Christians, run from the Bible. He wants you to run away from Jesus and just hide out. God will never stop pursuing you, but when you're running from the lover of your soul, you're not enjoying the benefit of that love and forgiveness and grace. It's not because God's removed it from you. It's because you've removed yourself from enjoying it. I mean, don't complain about the rain hitting you if you stepped out from under the umbrella. Get back under the umbrella. It's drier under there. It's better with God. It's better in the house of God. It's better in the word of God. It's better under here. Amen? They're on the boat. No, won't you try it on the right side? Won't you do what's right for change? Okay, so they cast it on the right side. Oh, supernatural. God got to be in this. And then the, John, John says, that's the Lord. That ain't just some guy cooking breakfast. That's Jesus. And he tells Peter that. That's Jesus. Peter believed John. And he took off that outward coat and he dove in because the boat wasn't going fast enough. And he swam all the way, outswam the boat to the shore to get to him. Does that look like a guy that's scared of him or afraid that he's not going to be accepted? No. That's a guy that knows that guy, if that's Jesus, he loves me, man. He doesn't appear to me personally. He's done talk to me, and he called that woman to tell Peter, I'm getting to him. And he dives out of the boat, man, and he swims. I love that in Peter. He swims to the shore. Listen, a little point. We need people in our lives that maybe can recognize Jesus quicker than we can. And we need to have people in our life that if they point and say, that's Jesus, man, that's Jesus, you need to have some people in your life that you know they're walking with God and you, 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 you believe them, that you'll jump out of the boat because what they said. Not because, well, I will wait here for the Lord to reveal himself to me. Well, you're going to miss a lot of wonderful things. But I've always had people in my life when they say, this is God. You need somebody can say, I know you don't recognize it right now, but this that's going on in your life, that's Jesus. Just swim that way. Get out of the safety of this boat, man. I know, you know, Peter's like, you know, la you know, last time I got in the water, you know, I walked on the water. Well, how'd that turn out? Not so great in the end, but you got it. You got recovered. But this time, just don't even, don't, don't worry about the miracle show. Just dive in. Don't worry about, is it cold? I wonder if it's cold. I'm not really dressed for swimming. Stop all the excuses, man. Stop all that stuff. Just dive into God. Just dive in. And he gets there, and, and, and he's got coals of fire. And they all gather around. You don't think Peter got close to the fire? Because he just got out of that water. It's cold. Just a few nights ago, it was cold. And he was getting by the fire. Now, listen to me. Uh, here, here it is. I'm about done. All right. Where did his denial take place? Where did he deny Jesus? By coals of fire, right? So he's setting by coals of fire. 
And so every time he smells coals of fire burning, guess what he's going to remember? Every time somebody fires up the grill, he's going to remember, I deny Jesus with the charcoal briquettes burning. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus said, no, I ain't going to leave you like that, bro. So he's got that same smell, coals of fire. He says, come here and warm yourself. Come here. Peter smells that, and it reminds him, man, just a few nights ago. Actually, it was 40 days ago. It's been over a month now, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. I denied I even know him around a fire just like this. And so around a fire just like that, he says, Peter, you love me more than all of these? Yea, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. You're still valuable. You're still a preacher. You're still an apostle. Your ministry ain't over. I don't care what the religious crowd says. Peter, you sure you love me more than these? Yea, Lord. You know I love you. Tend to my sheep. Peter, do you love me now more than these? And it says this, and Peter, being grieved in his heart, said, Lord, now you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. How many times did Peter deny him around the coals of fire? And how many times did he affirm him around coals of fire? God will always put everything right that the enemy tried to do wrong in your life. And he affirmed him. He affirmed him in front of all those other apostles, those ten remaining now. Judas has hung himself. He affirmed him before all of them and reestablished him in full force. And he said, you're still that Petros, that rock that I told you you were that first day I met you. You're still valuable to me. I'm still going to use you mightily. And all these things that happened to you, you're going to use that. You know what? And maybe, maybe you know, hey, you might want to write an epistle. Hey, we'll put it in a book. We'll call it the Bible. And you can just write an epistle. We'll just put like your name on it. First Peter, Second Peter. Just a thought. And you might want to talk in those epistles about the trying of your faith. Just a thought, Peter. Think about that while I'm in heaven. You might want to write that down. This happened to you. And Peter wrote it down. And you know what he said? He said, we handled him. We touched him. We ate with him. He said, this is not no fairy tale. It's true. And on that night, morning, Jesus cooked breakfast for them. I don't know how long that took, but they're eating breakfast. It's okay to have fish for breakfast. They had fish and bread. And on that night, God sealed the deal. And that guy, Petros, he did become, and he is today, one of the foundational pillars in the kingdom of God. And when we get to heaven and we see that four-squared city, this a real city, like a cube, and it has 12 foundations, and on one of those foundational stones will be the name of that apostle, Peter. And God has plans for you, and he has plans for him. And, and God doesn't have favorites. He, the same thing he had for David, it's the same thing he had for Peter, it's the same thing he's got for you. He's got all of your days written down in his book, and he wants those days to be fulfilled in his purpose and plan for your life. But, hey, you know what? If you decide to take a left turn when you should have turned right, God will redeem that thing in your life if you allow him. And his grace is always greater than any failure you ever, ever can have. And you need to know that you can recover from everything that the enemy's tried to take from you. 
Now, I don't know if that sounds like some good news, but it sure does to me. Amen. Would you receive the word of the Lord this day? Come on, stand to your feet. Give God praise. Elders, ministry team, just come and let's get up front here so we can pray for anybody that wants to. I went over just a little bit because they went over just a little bit earlier, and that was all wonderful. But I wanted to make it the story. I wanted to tell the story. Now, they tell us in Fox's Book of Martyrs, as among other books that historically record things and events, that Peter, you know, on that day, at that breakfast, Jesus said to him, he said, Now, I see that a day comes that you will be girded about and you will be led where you otherwise would not want to go. But what he was saying in that moment, and and, and the Bible says he was speaking to Peter about his death. But even though you don't know the story, God knows the story. And, and, And what he's saying to him, I believe, is saying, you know, you didn't even have the strength to confess me before a teenage girl. But you're going to have the strength now to really do what you said you would do, die for me. And history tells us that they arrested Peter and they sentenced him to be crucified just as his Lord and Savior. And all of history agrees, it's not in the Bible, but it's in history, that Peter requested, he said, I have one request, may I beg. I am unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Please crucify me upside down. And they granted his request. He had the strength by the power of God. See, if all this was a fairy tale, all of his apostles except one were martyred. They gave their life for this belief. Men won't die for what they don't believe in. Men will not die for what they hope to be true. They will only die for what they know to be true. And the fact that these apostles were martyred and were willing to die rather than to deny Christ is our proof in the scriptures that everything we read about Jesus is so. He really did raise from the dead. And he really was seen of them three times after his resurrection. He really did die for the sin of the world. You're serving a real Savior. And God's got a real plan for your life. And it is by his strength that you'll walk that out. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, you hadn't made perfect decisions. I hadn't either on everyone. But any, anything, any misstep, God will always, he will always redeem it if you'll give it to him. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. And more importantly, we're loved by you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And I pray that if anybody listening and here today and, and listening on Facebook, they, they, they've lost so much because they made bad decisions. They've ran away from you. Satan's plan was carried out. He seemed like he won. They, they ran from you, ran from the lover of their soul. I pray, God, that they'll do like Peter. They'll run back to you. They'll jump out of the boat. They'll dive in, and they'll, they'll, they'll swim towards you, not away from you. And they'll enjoy, and you'll redeem. And around those same coals where they failed, you'll reestablish them around those same coals, and you'll redeem those things in their lives. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'm going to dismiss the church. If you want prayer, come this way. We love you, Grace Point. God bless you.
you're waiting on if you want prayer, just come down front. We'll meet you down front.